Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 40, headlined by Aspen Ladd going up against Norma Dumont. If you guys remember, Norma Dumont was actually supposed to go up against Holly Holm and in steps Aspen Ladd after her botched weight cut about two weeks ago, I, I believe it is now. And uh, the UFC seemingly rewards her with the main event slot here up at 145 pounds going up against Norma Dumont. So we'll see how it plays out for Aspen Ladd, especially at this higher weight class and whether, you know, a lot of people are saying at the, at the weigh-ins today, Aspen Ladd seemed to be a little bit bigger. So let's see how that plays into this fight, especially with Norma Dumont herself having issues making 135 pounds. Um, before I kick things off, uh, I do want to let you guys know tomorrow, the Fight Day live chat, normally at 1 p.m. Eastern, it's going to be at 11 a.m. Eastern tomorrow because I have, you know, just complete uh, uh, a complete day tomorrow. I got some plans tomorrow. I got some people coming over, so I don't even know if I'm going to be watching the card live. So keep that in mind. If you guys are sticking around tomorrow for the Fight Day live chat, it's at 11 a.m., not 1 p.m. So without further ado, let me introduce my guest. He's been making the rounds over the last couple of weeks now, and I've been impressed with what I've been seeing with my guy. Uh, but I, a quick little backstory in case you guys aren't aware of who uh, this guest is. Uh, formerly, uh, or at least before, I used to come across him in the comment section of all my YouTube uh, stream or most of my YouTube streams and a lot of the other predictors' YouTube streams. And it's weird how his character has built itself. Like he started off as a, a playful troll in a sense where he was just like always saying the most absurd things. I, I felt it was like he was saying uh, like Holly Holm has the best wrestling in the division or just stupid shit, right? Like just just random shit. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of another one off the top of my head. Gadza Murad Antigolov has the greatest cardio. St something like that. Like just something uh, outrageous. And then he slowly started morphing into this guy that was actually spitting legitimate shit. Like he was actually uh, dropping good analysis. And I was interested into seeing who he was and what he was all about. Out. And luckily, when I finally got that special DM saying that he was finally ready to show his face, finally ready to uh, drop in these prediction videos and, and uh, hopping on people's streams, uh, I was more than happy to uh, to abide by it and have him jump on here. So, uh, without further ado, let me let me bring in the goat, the self-proclaimed goat. But I think everybody in the uh, in the community is more than happy to uh, to give him that title. We got my guy Tajik Bay. Tajik, what's happening, brother? Not much is happening. All good, and thank you for the introduction. And uh, yeah, I think the, this goat conversation uh, has emerged, and a lot of people are asking why goat. You know, is he a good uh, capper? Is he a good DFS player? I'm not. I'm goat for simple reason that I support uh, MMA community. Um, you know, morally, financially, and now digitally as well. I come in on the show, you know, and and want to provide insights, and it has a trickle down effect. Because now, you know, we have a happier audience, more engaged, a more knowledgeable audience that they make a better sound, you know, betting decisions and DFS decisions. So that's what I'm here for. So when you ask me, am I a capper? You know, am I, uh, you know, am I a DFS player? I am. I have a great results. It's on my Twitter. But that's not why people call me, call me GOAT. They called me GOAT because I'm here for the MMA community I, and I will continue to be here and support uh, and support everywhere I can. So humble as always and that's something that i definitely uh, wanted to like give you some credit for uh the one question that i truly have though is wh where where did this transformation come from and not to mention when you initially started coming out to the comment section this is not what i expect i'm going to be completely honest you you have like 
hitman vibes you know what i mean you have like the you got the white room you got the black turtleneck you got the you know almost shaved head it looks like you're you know after this stream you're gonna go murder somebody just for a high paying customer or something like that how did this transformation become where you're just like i'm gonna i'm gonna slightly troll friendly and then i'm gonna start bringing in my insight what was give me give me some background of how you got into the mma community and then how you got yourself to this point well i i've been an mma fan uh for a long time you know back from the pride days you know with fedor and randleman Krokop and the others you know but even before that growing up i watched uh, hoist gracie uh so i've been uh um uh, you know watching fights for well over 20 years you know and uh where is the transformation of characters coming from <laughs> i think it's coming from heart you know yeah uh that's who i am you know i'm here um you know uh, uh yeah and that's that that's that's the best way i can answer it right because like i said i'm a big supporter of the uh mma community i want to continue to support it i'll you know and uh content creator like yourself because it's very hard you know people don't understand you know somebody like yourself Manpreet, coming in you know and to, to produce the content that you put do all the research you know work the, you know with the community on patreon and elsewhere how hard it is right so for me it's, it's somebody you know um I feel a great deal of, you know, uh, uh, empathy, you know, and, and the support that, would, uh, that I'd like to, you know, render to yourself and, uh, and, and others. So that's, you know, that's all I have to say on this topic. Trust me, it's greatly appreciated from myself and the rest of the content creators in our space as well, because you've been pretty much helping yourself financially as well with all the super chats that you've been dropping. And then obviously all the support as well. And now to finally have you in the digital sphere, as you like to call it, it is amazing to, to and not to mention, not just have you on the digital sphere, but you are like a legitimate analyst. You actually like take the time and do the breakdowns and look into most of these fights and, and give your most in-depth knowledge that you're able to give. So I'm very happy to have you on. And once you reach out to me, I'm like, it's just a matter of time. I'm I get this guy on the show this you gotta you gotta you gotta bear with me a little bit Tajik. i have people you know every other week hit me up and be like hey have me on your show have me on your show uh and then i was happy to see you actually go on somebody else's show and you were legitimate and, and that's i'm not i didn't want to question your credibility before that but once i saw you on somebody else's show and saw that you were like legit like okay i got i gotta have this guy on so hopefully you're with us for a, a long time down the road because we definitely benefit from your analysis and your research and uh, again your hitman like looks man i can't get over it i wanted to make an avatar for you where it's just like this guy's a hitman that's what it looks like to me <laughs> but it is it's a compliment to jeek i i no, it's I, a compliment <laughs> I, I i don't have anything on my schedule regarding that so there's nothing <laughs> happening tonight so but that's okay all I, not I tonight leave, i leave it at that yeah if you guys don't see me next week you know what happens because i've i bought into to jeek's uh game plan here all right let's not waste one and uh, two more time we're getting into ufc vegas 40 headlined by uh aspenlad against norman dumont here uh we did lose a fight earlier this morning uh julian marquez did not make the scale it did say non-covid health issue or something like that so possibly related to weight cutting if anything the guy's a big dude especially to get down to that 185 pound weight class uh so yeah we did lose one fight this morning so we do have a 10 fight scale uh slate sorry and just to remind you guys it's an early start 4 30 p.m eastern start time for the prelims so don't get caught napping all right let's start off right at the bottom of the card we got ariani carnalosi going up against estela nunez minus 140 right now on carnalosi plus 120 on nunez i'll kick things off here and then i'll swing it on over to you tajik uh carnalosi 
I'd like to call her like the uh, the female John Lineker. She likes to move forward. She likes to blow big bombs. Uh, sometimes she'll go for a takedown, but more often than not, she wants to strike with you. She wants to try to take your head off. And you can see it on her record based on how many knockout victories she actually has. On the flip side, we got uh, Estela Nunes making her UFC debut two years after she actually originally got signed to the UFC. Uh, she was scheduled to face Angela Hill, and then she got popped by USADA. And we haven't seen her since then. And the one thing interesting that I noticed, especially if you look at her Instagram page, is she was spending a lot of time at American Top Team until she got popped. And then she went back to her home uh, hometown, home gym. I don't even recall the name of it. But since then, it doesn't seem like she's been up at American Top Team. So if people want to say she's been training there for this specific camp, they are just flat out wrong because that is not exactly what happened. She has had experience training at uh, American Top Team, but not specifically for this type of matchup. She brings a great Muay Thai background to the uh, to the UFC. I believe two-time world champion or four-time world champion, but uh, very good skill set, especially when you look at her tape. Uh, good distance striking, good you know uh, pinpoint accuracy. The only flaw in her record is the uh, is the champion over there at one championship, Angela Lee. She was able to submit her, I believe, in the first round there. Uh, but then since then, again, seven one record, pretty good. I have too many question marks about her. I, I, you know, it seems like one of those spots where if she just stays on the outside, she should be able to pick apart Ariane Carnalosi. But who knows what she's going to look like off the sauce, off the juice, off all that stuff, and especially off this big time layoff. And you don't want to have any issues, especially when you're going up against a girl like Ariane Carnalosi, because one little slip up and you're probably staring up at the lights here. Um, I am reluctantly going to side on the Carnalosi side here just because of the unknowns that we have about Nunes. Uh, and no way am I, not, am I investing my money into this fight just because, like, let's just sit back. Let's see what Nunes brings to the table and then let's better accordingly afterwards. Is there anything that you can unravel about this fight that I haven't already touched upon? And ultimately, how do you feel about it, brother? Yeah, I think it. You know, it's a fair point that we don't we don't know a lot about is is Estella, and I think it's also a fair point to say that she doesn't know a lot about herself, right? As you said, uh, you know, she uh, she popped for 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 steroids, and it's an interesting story in itself because uh, she popped for uh, stanozolol, right, which is known as uh, you know commonly at, as Winstrol, right? So Winstrol, uh, you know, it became popular. Uh, um, in 1988, right, that was this coming out party, you know, when Ben Johnson smoked Carl Lewis in uh, in the Tokyo Olympics. I think 9.79 was his time, and he looked like uh, like a machine. You know, there was no way Carl Lewis was going to beat this race. But then he popped, and when people tried to find out which uh, anabolic metabolite it was, it was tenozolol, right? And this is what uh, Estella had had popped for. And uh, she had multiple metabolites, and uh, you know it's a it, it's it's a very s strong, solid metabolite that helps you, you know, to gain edge, you know, and uh, it's also has uh, limited uh, uh, side effects compared to the more uh, uh, common anabolics. But uh, what happens? It, it, hence the reason why it's 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 used by uh, by female athletes a lot. So uh, when she uh, when she popped for it, she actually said, "I don't, I did not know that I was using it." And so the thing is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, How often know, I, do you believe that from a fighter, though, right? Uh, Did you... Well, the, the problem is that, you know, it's a very specific anabolic. It, it's used, you know, like it, it, if, if she didn't know, we even have a bigger problem because imagine herself, she doesn't know what she is at what point she started taking it, right? She got popped for it. She got banned for it. You know, USADA banned her for two years, right? And so if she doesn't know in herself, you know, how her body will respond to that, you know, to to being uh, off the sauce, right? And so, but yeah, but those how how those sauce wars has started in 1988. After that, you know, every bodybuilder would call their doctor to ask this one question: "Oh, how do I get this? 
you know and and you know and it's common it's an old school drug and i think was developed in 1950 to 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 treat anemia in, in children and then find find the wider application so it, it's 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 interesting for me you know she comes back and then they give her angela hill and then she gets injured and guess who comes in to support her uh, to replace her rather right it's uh Lossi. she takes yeah. this fight and i think she makes a good account of herself you know and um uh, and um and um she gets caught in the in the get cuts in the third round uh, by an elbow and the fight gets stopped and so uh and then in the next fight in the Linyang, uh she she uh, you know she stops Linyang. and so I, I think generally she's in a better position right now you know she 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 has a couple of fights under her belt you know she has a little bit money off of that win she has you know um better nutrition i'm assuming and so uh, but she has to be smart about fighting Estella, like you said. You know, she's a Muay Thai fighter. You know, multiple world, uh, multiple times world champion. So she would has to mi uh, mix up. You know, and and uh, her social media, Carnelos is actually. Um, when I look, looked it up, I saw that she was a little, little bit leaner this time around. She wasn't in muscular, which makes me think she puts a lot of focus, uh, you know, uh, on the cardio game. She would have to do that. She would have to clean. She would have to try. It. Uh, you know, to 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 trade to take Estella down because uh, standing wise, uh, she would play into Estella's game, right? Estella is a good counter striker. That's what we have to remember. And so, if she mixes it up, I think she can win, and she can win comfortably. Uh, I support Carnel uh, here is Carnel uh, and if you're trying to take Estella, I think you're right. You know, just uh, just stay away. Find out who she is. Find out how she is off the off the sauce, and then uh, maybe next time you she can consider her as a bet. Yeah, it's interesting because we are seeing the line move a little bit now in towards the Nunes side. I believe it was roughly around minus one eighty five for Carnelosi. Now I'm seeing closer like minus one forty, minus one fifty for Carnelosi. So you know people might be trying to fade the Carnelosi side strictly because the the Muay Thai background of Nunes in this spot. So we'll see how that actually plays out for them. Again, this is a sit back and wait for me type of thing. It seems like you're taking the same type of approach here, and especially when you're talking about you know hundreds of thousands of dollars that you're putting on these fights you don't want to go into these blind especially with a, a situation like this all right let's keep the train moving along we got the ufc return of brandon davis going up against dana bat Kadil. we got minus 150 now on bat Kadil and plus 130 on brandon davis i'll actually let you kick this one off to jake how are you feeling about this matchup and do you think the returning brandon davis can uh you know pull off the upset in his return it's a tough matchup for Davis uh, because uh, I'm I'm not sure what he has to what he has to offer for Dana Badgeri in in this matchup, right? He he's low volume, um, you know his his ground game we haven't seen that. I mean he he took Giga Chikaze down three times, right, and only had I think like three minutes of the control time, right? Um, you know when you're looking into Dana Badgeri, he throws more, he's more accurate. Is much more lethal, uh, you know. And standing-wise, I think he can cause a lot of trouble. You know, before the broadcast, I was actually thinking if there is a chance for Dana to be the first person to ever KO um, KO him, and and uh, and I think there is a chance. I think if he throws that good hook, you know, sits a little bit, and he's a good boxer, Dana is. You know, I think he can. He there is a chance he's going to put him away. It puts me at, at odds, and it, and and I'm kind of like I I don't understand the fascination with uh, with um you know with, with trying to bet against Dana uh, Badgiri at this point because uh, Brandon Davis you know he was a huge favorite against Kyle Bochnak as I said it before he was a favorite against Giga Chikadze you know and you know he lost all of these fights and now he's coming back after four wins in 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 some subpar promotion. 
um, very hard to, to bet him and to, to expect that he's going to go for this takedown and turn into this, you know, mighty wrestler is, I think, is a stretch. Um, I'm actually, I'm feeling actually great that what is Danal right now is like minus 150. Minus 150, right? yeah, the line I is mean, it, it, closing. It's, it's, it's solid, it's closing. I mean, it's great. If you're if you're on the uh, uh, Danal side like myself, I think it's a great opportunity and a great spot to bet him. And uh, for Brandon Davis, I think it's, it's a little bit tough. It's 135. Um, he's going to be a little bit bigger uh, than Dana, but he's not bigger by much. You know, you I watched, I looked the weigh-ins, and so um, I just don't know. His his ways, his path to victory is very limited. He cannot knock out Dana. He's not going to submit him. And standing-wise, you know, in every single metric, you know, he uh, uh, Dana outshines him and outperforms him. So how how are you going to bet Davis? Plus, on top of that, if you're just a capper, you're looking into historically of if he he win, the wins that he has. It's a very very tough spot to to bet Davis, and I understand. Actually, I don't. But if you bet him, I mean, all I can say is good luck. Well, thank you because I am on the Brandon Davis side here. I do have a unit and a half on him at that plus one forty nine line. Um, I do think the experience that he brings to the table, although he has a very lackluster uh, uh, record that he brings to the table here, you got to look at his strength of schedule that he's been going up against, and uh, you know the losses that he's had inside the UFC. You know, tough losses, right? Zabit Magomed Sharapov. You got the the Kyle Bakniak one was a very interesting one considering how that fight went. It could play out similar to that one, but Crash Bakniak is very you know, aggressive, very much moves forward and and tries to really push the pace, almost like an Ariane Carnelosi type of character where he just tries to put the pressure on his opponents. And I don't think that Davis was able to keep up with that. My disagreement here is going to come with uh, uh, Davis being more serviceable in the striking than people are giving him credit for. I don't think Batgrio will be able to knock him out here. I do think he's a better striker, don't get me wrong. but I, And I do think he'll have the better moments on the feet here. But I think the length and the, the jiu-jitsu and uh, wrestling is going to be the ultimate factor here for Brandon Davis. I do think he's going to be able to either push up a back reel up against the cage, drag him to the ground, and get his jiu-jitsu going. We saw in the third round of the Haile Tang fight, albeit Alatang is slightly better wrestler than what Davis brings to the table here. But as soon as he got him to the ground or into those clinch and grappling situations, absolutely roughed, off, roughed up uh, Batgrio. Now, Batgrio, minus 130 favorite going into his fight against Guido Canetti. You know, nearly a pick him, closer to a pick him fight there. And then we saw him go out there and get the knockout. And all of a sudden, off to the races. Big favorite against Kevin Natividad. And now was a bigger favorite against uh, Brandon Davis until that Brandon Davis money started to come in. So it's more so fading a little bit of the hype that might be on the Dana Batgarillo side against a very experienced and legitimate competitor here, in my opinion, with Brandon Davis. I think Brandon Davis is like one of the best uh, gatekeepers out there. He's going to be that guy that's going to keep these guys from the top 15. And will Denar be able to crack the top 15? He's going to have to get guy, get past a guy like Brandon Davis to do so. And I don't think he's going to be, be able to do so. I think once uh, Davis wraps him up here, it's going to be a little bit difficult for Bakriel to really get anything going. Uh, last thing I'll say about Bakriel, one of the last guys kind of left at Jackson Wink. Uh, you know, it really is hilarious, the, the downfall of that gym over there. You know, they used to have pretty much everybody at the gym. But since John Jones has been having his issues, seems like a lot of people are leaving. Uh, and and now the only real people left there are like, you know, Steve Garcia, who fought last week. Obviously, huge mismatch there against Charlie Ontiveros. He even got finished, almost got finished himself in that first round. Luckily, he was able to survive and come back in that second round. Um, and then, yeah, Khalid Mirtazaliyev, a Russian that's out of there, lost in Bellator a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Jones, home. Like, there's not much there left. And Denat Bakarillo is the next guy waving the flag for Jackson Wink. And I just don't think that they truly have it. I know Brandon Davis is out of uh, Mississippi, and one of his main training partners is... Uh, uh, Hick Diaz, what's his name? Uh, 
Jason Knight, you know, that's kind of one of the main guys that he's rolling with. But one thing that we've really seen from Davis, in my opinion, very good jujitsu, uh, decent enough wrestling. I think it's going to be good enough for him to be able to drag this fight to the ground and uh, either lock up a submission. That's one prop that I was kind of looking at here. Um, let me just see what it's currently sitting at. Uh, Davis by submission is plus 735, plus 1,000 if you look at certain spots. I don't think that's a bad spot here considering I do expect him to have a massive grappling advantage once this fight does hit the mat. So, yeah, I'm on the Davis side. We got Tajik on the other side here. Uh, and again, if you are on the back of the other side, you are the benefit of some solid line movement uh, and you should be getting a way better price now. Uh, and if you liked him before, got to pull the trigger now, I think. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got short notice Lupita Godinez going up against Luana Carolina. Now Godinez coming up a weight class uh, and taking this fight on a seven-day turnaround, the quickest in modern UFC history. Um, and I believe that this is a great matchup for her to do so. I am not a big believer on Luana Carolina. I was about to eat all the chalk on Sajara Eubanks when they originally uh, matched up there because I thought the skill difference was massive. I don't think Luana has much off of her back. Um, it looks like she's a little offensive if you watch some of her fights, especially the the Pugliano Patelio fight, but there's not much substance to it. It's to my, in my opinion, it's more for show than anything. And I think a girl like Godinez, if she does get Carolina to the ground, she would be more than safe on the on top. I think that's her best way to win this fight, especially with the size discrepancy we're going to get here. The way Carolina wins fights is staying at distance, picking her opponents from uh, distance, and that's kind of her game. It's Muay Thai. It's stay at distance and just let your strikes go. Whereas Godinez. You know, even in her pride fights, even at 115 pounds, she's usually the shorter woman. She has to crash forward. She has to close the distance to get her strikes off. But in this particular situation, I think that that's not going to be enough for her. She's going to have to close the distance, land some takedowns, and do some work from on top. And I think she's going to be able to do so. Now, I did slightly fade Godinez last time around. I took a half-unit shot on Juarez, as I thought Juarez was, a you know, in the striking realm, I thought she would be able to hold her own. But then Godin is like, but why would I strike with this woman? Let me just take this woman down. So I think it's the same situation here. She has to go out there, take Luana Carolina down. And will she be able to get a finish? I'm not 100% sure. I was certain that Eubanks was going to get a finish because she is a tremendous black belt, in my opinion. Probably one of the best black belts in that division. But Godinez not on that level yet. So could she grind her out? I think so. I think that this is a prime spot for her to go out there and do that. Personally, I thought she was going to open up as a minus 300, minus 400 favorite because there's always that love on Godinez. You know, there's just a crazy public love out there for her. But, you know, she opened up at minus 285, and now she's roughly around minus 210, uh, minus 225. So it seems like there's money coming in on Carolina. The only reason I can think as to why is she's the big woman. She's the one preparing for this date. And, uh, you know, it's going to be tough for Godinez to possibly take a bigger woman down. I don't think that's the case. I I'm not a big fan of Carolina. Don't think she has many skills, to be honest. And she's going to beat girls like Priscilla Cachuera. But it's not going to get uh, better for her past that. How do you feel about this matchup, brother? Um, I think it uh, if it was uh, um, if it was on a decent amount, you know, notice and uh, with the full camp, uh, you know, Lupi would have been battable, you know, and we would eat the chalk, you know, and it would be delicious. But uh, under these circumstances, it's very hard, right? Like it's a seven-day notice. I mean, if she beats Luana, she might as well just call out Hamza Chimaev after that, right? Like it's just like it's, <laughs> it's 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 very tough. But it's tough to bet her. It's really tough. She's she's heavily undersized, right? It's a very short notice, and uh, and if I just I just don't know if she will be able to 
um, you know, manipulate Luana the way she the way she wants, and you know, in in the, in the grappling department, right? Uh, last week, I, uh, I I I picked her actually to win by um, Lupita by submission, and she did. I think it was her first submission. I think it was a you know good pick. But this time, it's it's it. I kind of like I. I'm very perplexed, right? Because you know the way uh, the way Poliana Botelli went into the full mount on 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 her, uh, it was just it was just it was just very disturbing, right? And uh, on Luana Carolina and uh, Botelli is 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 a, is a subpar grappler, right? Uh, Ariana Lipsky Lipsky knee barred her. I mean, this is just. Uh, it, so what can Lupi do? I think Lupi can take her down. That's her path to victory. Standing up is going to be a little bit tough. You know, more powerful shots. If, if Luana keeps the good distance, I think she's durable. And I think she can throw the punches, you know, throw them jabs, you know. Mm, it's probably going to be a little bit closer given the circumstances. But I think I'm going to uh, agree with you. I think Lupi, uh, I, don't, I don't see, I see more that this fight can go to a decision than, than a submission. But then again, you know, Botelia and Lipsky fights, you know, are a good good indication and good markers for somebody who's betting on uh, Lupi by submission and, and a good guide, you know, um, in making in making that decision. I don't blame you. if you blame if you if you if you betting on Lupi by submission. I mean, good for you. You know, go do it. I I think she she uh, she wins by decision and more close closer decision than we probably think is going to be something like 29-28 unanimous, but a bit closer fight than than we expect. Godinez by decision currently sitting at plus 160 Godinez by sub plus 390 or plus 500 depending on where you're looking at so sheesh that's one of them Lambo bets that Narcocops like so yeah there, <laughs> there you go here we all go. right let's move on to the next one here and I'll let you take the lead we got Danny Roberts going up against Ramazan Amiv in terms of odds we are currently looking at <clears throat> minus 320 for Amiv plus 290 on Danny Roberts how do you feel about this matchup brother well, uh, I mean, Emiev will be my pick, but he's he's unbattable. I, I think he's more complete now, and, and he's more complete because of the Rocco Martin fight, right? He tried to take Rocco Martin down nine, nine times, and then he failed. And then after that, I think he realized, I can't just, you know, I can't just rely on, on precision strikes, you know, and low volume and just, you know, because it's going to be very close for me. So I have to mix things up and be more effective in the wrestling department, right? I think he did a good work there. His fights with Stolce, with Zawada, uh, has, uh, I, think he, I think he garnered like four takedowns in each. So we know now that he's going to mix up his game. And I think it's very important, um, you know, uh, important aspect of this matchup. Um, Danny Roberts is coming off of the long layoff. Uh, I, I don't see much path of the victory, honestly. I mean, to him, I mean, he's, he's striking. I think is very close. I think they're very close striking-wise uh, with Ramazan. But um, just simply because Ramazan has more ways to victory, you know, I think it, it makes it for a much uh, easier, uh, easier pick. I think he's going to take him down. You know, he's going to mix up the uh, strikes and takedowns and uh, comfortably take this one uh, to, uh, to a decision. Yeah, I'm on the Amiv side here as well. And I'm kind of surprised that the line is not wider at this point in time. And I, I know a lot of times Ramazan Amiv is usually that heavy favorite, right? Minus 400, minus 500 is what we're used to seeing. So I'm kind of surprised that the line is not as wide this time around. You know, he's on a two-fight two winning streak. Like you said, 
uh, four takedowns in both of those last two fights. Uh, the Roko Martin fight seemed to be a little bit of a wake up call, wake, sorry, wake up call for him, uh, especially with uh, the amount of success that Roko Martin was having with that calf kick, kind of rendering him defenseless, especially in the striking realm. And then I think that really took off the the zest of those nine takedown attempts that he was trying to go out there and and do. Like me and you both realized the the amount of damage a calf kick can do, and when that calf kick really started to show itself inside the UFC. Roko Martin was one of those guys that was really taking advantage of it. I thought his performance against Ramazan Amiv was one of the best um, uh, indications and, and presentations of how to use a calf kick effectively. Uh, and then, yeah, you're right. He he started to go more so for the takedowns in his last two fights because before it seemed like he was fighting to the level of his competition, right? Even though he was a minus 500 favorite, a lot of his fights were way sweatier than they should have been because low output, waiting for more accuracy than actual volume. Uh, and that kind of like, you know, really made it a lot closer for him in those earlier fights. But here now against Stolze, against Zavada, get those takedowns, get that top control, and uh, get to work. And I think that 20, what is it, 29% takedown accuracy on his uh, UFC stats page, obviously a lot of that from the uh, from the Rocco Martin fight. If people want to kind of take that statistic and say, how is he going to get Danny Roberts down, right? Roberts, 53% takedown defense. You got Claudio Silva, 23% takedown accuracy, landing three takedowns on Danny Robertson. If me and you are betting men to Bay, I feel like Ramazan Amiv has a better wrestling game than what Claudio Silva would have brought to the table in that specific fight, right? Would you agree? Yeah, yeah he does. And I think and I think uh, there's a bit of a, a recency bias, right? Um, you know, because the, the way uh, the way his fight went with uh, Ramazan Amiv's fight went with Zawada was a little bit disturbing, right? It was you know closer fight than people anticipate with Stolce also kind of it, it was close. And so uh, and uh, I Danny Roberts, you know, he stopped Zalimi Madayev, and so people are like, "That's oh, probably we, you know, it is, yeah. it's kind oh, of this, this is what people are like, oh, you know, another Russian is gonna go through yeah. him, but it's 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 not that easy, right? I mean, yeah. and and Zalim was just on this path of losing fights. Zalim was just never yeah. ready. He was never mentally ready for this challenge, right? It's one of the, they rushed him too fast, you know. That's that's part of the things, you know. That uh, I I want to make this point, if I may, you know, it, when it comes to management, right? A lot of people like let's say when. Um, uh jordan wright pulled out of a uh, uh, mark uh, people look at Wright, you know this this uh and um they talk about him being like beating uh, crashing cans you know beating people with the zero records what 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 when people look at that that's what they see when i look at that uh you know uh, as an analyst to me it's like he has a good management yeah he has a good think about it no, he runs right. through every fight he gets is a winnable fight for him you have to have a really good manager in order to make those fights so that they set, set it up for you. You have to be, you know, a lead level type of manager to get this kind of setups. And they give him really winnable fights if you go no. through his record. So, yeah, so think about it that way. You know, you can you may think about it that he and the same the same thing. But it's the opposite of what happened with uh, Imadaev. You know, they're like they rushed him, kid, you ready, UFC, let's go. And, you know, UFC is tough for anybody. And so you need to be ready. No, absolutely. There, there's, a, there's a lot of guys that I kind of know on the regional scene that got that padded type of approach to getting big fights. And then when they got the big fights, they absolutely crumbled because they weren't ready for that type of competition. And that's possibly what we could see with Jordan Wright. But unfortunately, again, we're not going to be able to see him this, this weekend. In regards to this specific matchup, I am on Ramazan pretty heavily as well. The only way I think uh, Roberts wins this fight is if he's able to stuff takedowns because 
technically speaking, he's probably the better striker, uh, has some good volume, has some good output, probably more output than what Ami brings to the table. But, you know, it, by the looks of it, Rob, uh, Roberts has pretty much just been training over there in Europe. I know he's been tied over to uh, Sanford MMA for a couple of training camps, but he hasn't been over there for this training, training camp specifically. Um, and then, you know, you're really going to need those types of wrestling approaches and wrestling looks that you're going to get from guys at Sanford compared to what he's going to be getting over there in Europe. And I feel like he's just not going to be ready for what Ramazan brings here. Very, Ramazan, very safe on the feet again low output but safe he, he hasn't uh succumbed to a knockdown inside the ufc he got knocked out once in the regional scene uh and, and managed to avenge that loss very quickly right after in his next fight taps the guy out in the first round and uh, i feel as though if ramazan can't go out there and finish a guy like danny roberts he's more than likely not finishing anybody higher up on the ladder because i feel like this is a fight he can finish whether it's the power that i believe he does have in his hands if he can actually let it go and find that chin um or his submission game on the ground because you know although we don't see it often it seems like he has a bit of a submission game but it seems like when he gets these guys to the ground it's more so to control rather than to actually find a submission or find a finish and even if he goes out there and controls this guy I'm fine with that too. I, I think that this is an me fight pretty much from the jump here. The only way I see Robert joining this fight personally, if he stops takedowns or if he uh, knocks out Ameev. And again, by all indications, it seems like Ameev has a pretty rock solid chin here. So I don't think that's too much to worry about. So yeah, I like Ameev. Uh, obviously heavy juice on him now as money has poured on him throughout the week. I remember seeing him around roughly around minus 220, minus 230. Now he's reaching up to the minus 300 range. So uh, say what you want about the, the juice there. I, I again, I don't mind taking juice. You guys know me. I think he's worth a little bit of the juice in this spot. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got Andrew Sanchez going up against Bruno Silva. I'll kick things off here. In terms of odds, we got minus 155 on Bruno Silva, plus 135, the return on Andrew Sanchez. You can find plus 140-ish at a couple of spots as well. Um, I'm actually on the Andrew Sanchez side here. I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but I feel as though uh, he should be the side here, especially at these dog odds. Now, the confusion that a lot of people seem to have is that Andrew Sanchez is, is chinny. I don't think he's that chinny. I think it's more so his exhaustion that it comes to in that third round, which is one more often than that that he gets finished, right? The Ryan James fight, the Mahmoud Murdoff fight. The Mahmoud Murdoff fight, he went striking with him for 15, well, you know, for two and a half rounds before he got knocked out. And it was due to the exhaustion, in my opinion. He tried going for takedowns. He was unsuccessful in doing so, as Murdov has a decent wrestling background himself, and he was able to stuff those takedowns. Whereas here, Bruno Silva, takedown defense looks a little bit sketchy. You know what I mean? A lot of people were backing Wellington Terman last time around, assuming that he would be able to get the fight to the ground and get his jiu-jitsu going. It was a little bit more difficult for him to ground that fight. He did ultimately have to jump on the back of Bruno Silva to try to get something going, but just couldn't get anything going. Whereas Andrew Sanchez, I think his wrestling game is 10 times better than what Wellington Terman brought to the table. And I think he should be able to ground this fight over and over again then comes into the question how is he going to look in that third round against the heavy hitter like bruno Silva, who has shown that he can withstand grapple fucking for two three four rounds and come back at the end and still knock you out so i think the best way to approach this is one i'd be surprised if andrew sanchez finishes bruno Silva. so i'd take andrew sanchez by decision to get the most juice out of that squeeze and then just for assurance let's go ahead and take that bruno Silva round three just for assurance right bruno Silva round three is currently uh, plus 925, plus 1,000, depending on the spots that you're looking at. I think that's the best way to play this fight, uh, honestly. If you're taking the Bruno Silva money line, I think you're leaving money on the table because I truly think his only way of winning this fight is by knockout. I mean, that that's, in my opinion, that's the only way that he wins this fight. Whereas Andrew Sanchez, I think he will be able to nullify that knockout power early, land the takedowns, grind this one out, and then take home a decision victory as long as he doesn't get knocked the fuck out in that third round. Is my analysis on this quite on par with how you're seeing this fight go down? Or how do you see this one going down, buddy? 
No, absolutely. I see, I see it uh, in a lot of ways. Very, very similar. You know, my, my pick is Andrew Sanchez here. Uh, you know, um, I want to give insight also, like when it comes to this, uh, uh, when it comes to camps, right? Like, you know, a lot of times, you know, you, you see cappers and analysts talk about the camps. They say he went there and he's going to be doing great and stuff like that. So I think when it comes to Andrew Sanchez, he had identity crisis. He couldn't find out in himself who he was. Is he a wrestler? Is he trying to be a stand-up fighter, right? I think Khabib, like in that sense, made a good statement, right? He said, you know, stick to your roots. Stick to what you're good at, right? And what we're seeing right now is Andrew Sanchez going back to AK, going to the AKA, is that he's trying to get that wrestling back. So when you're looking into uh, when you're looking into this camp narrative, the reason why I bring it up, every time somebody, you know, goes somewhere, it's not the, you know, it gets, uh, somehow the name stands out more so than the, gym brings so when somebody goes to aka anticipate somebody like andrew sanchez trying to work on his stand, on, on his uh, wrestling and grappling when somebody goes to factory x you know they're probably focusing more a little bit on the stand-up and that's what they can get out of it you know or you can go to the firas zahavi uh, zahavi's gym and try to become boring fighter right so it's like really like what you're trying to do right it, it what you're trying to be in life right it, this is your identity right and so when when the when the uh, when it comes to andrew sanchez i think he's trying to you know find himself again you know rediscover himself the wrestler he is you know the bjj guy he's and he's a solid one at that uh i think he has a chance to put um uh, uh, you know um to put bruno silva in a lot of uh in a lot of trouble and for bruno uh, silva we don't know much you know Terman tried to take him down you know th this fight is absolutely you know he's his win, his uh, first and the win in the UFC gives us absolutely nothing. It tells me nothing that I have not known. Does he have a KO power? Yes, he does. Have I known that before? Yes, I do. Uh, yes, yes, I did know that. So what else am I supposed to know? Andrew Sanchez, I think you rightly mentioned, is durable. And the reason why he would lose in those th third round is because, you know, he would be exhausted by this time. So cardio is a big issue for him. And I think he's trying to find this balance, right? How do I become a, you know, wrestler, a grappler, you know, impose my will, impose my game, and at the same time not to get guessed out. And what's the better place than AKA to discover that? Um, I think, in my opinion, Andrew Sanchez uh, stops Bruno Silva. Um, I think it's going to be TKO. I don't know. For some reason, I, do, I don't see a submission here. Um, but Bruno Silva is obviously a great, tremendous DK play, you know, you know, go ahead, have it, you know, pick him, you know, I think he has that first round upside, obviously will be popular there. But for betting purposes, you know, I like Andrew Sanchez and I like, uh, and I feel like the he, he can get that TKO, just take him down, you know, just uh, take his back, stretch him out and just pound him out and, uh, and get that TKO victory somewhere around the second or third round. Yeah, I really think that uh, people just continuously are blinded by, you know, Andrew Sanchez being chinny or Andrew Sanchez having bad cardio ultimately leading to his demise, right? I think people need to fix that up because, again, even in those fights where he's, like, getting knocked out later in these fights, it's, again, it's just pure exhaustion. It's literally pure exhaustion. The guy's huffing and puffing. And I remember back in the day, Andrew Sanchez always being a heavy favorite against him, no matter who he went up against because of the potential people saw in him. But now we see the chink in his armor is that cardio. But if he can shore that up, I think that this is a solid spot for him to go out there and get that win. I agree. All right, let's move on to the main card now. Uh, I do quickly want to remind you guys, we've got about 175 people in the live chat right now. Shout out to everybody in here. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe. And I do have Tajik's um, 
a Twitter uh, page linked in the description below. So if you guys do enjoy what you guys are hearing from him, please do give him a follow because he is very entertaining just on the timeline, just as he is here with his beautiful face on this stream. All right, let's move on to the main card here. We got Ludovic Klein going up against Nate Landwer in terms of odds. Obviously, heavy chalk here on Ludovic Klein, who initially opened around that minus 265 range. Uh, now up to minus 370, plus 330 is the return here on Ludovic Klein. I'll actually let you kick this one off, Tajik. How are you feeling about this matchup? Uh, I feel great. Uh, actually, I think it's going to be, this fight is going to be a banger. I think it's going to be a great fight. Um, um, I'll start perhaps uh, with uh, with Nate Landwer. I think with him, the issue always has been his ego. You know, he came back, he came from this M1 circuit beating everybody up you know and he would run go through every punches you know you throw kitchen sink at him he laughs right it's just uh he felt invincible absolutely and and then he comes to ufc you know and he got really humbled there right like his first fight he gets you know ko'd and then you know gets his pride back in the second fight and then gets ko'd again uh i think uh what what he has to become in this fight like you know he has to be humble right you know he's a good ufc level athlete what he needs to do is to pick his hands up you know and and just breathe and calm down you know if you're in this, this fight camp just tell him relax you know try to settle you know don't be that guy who just run through the punches we know we know that it doesn't work you know and um and so for for Klein, uh, I I was so not impressed with Ludovic uh, in his fight against Trizano. It's very hard for me to find the reason, especially that these odds. How would anybody bet Ludovic Klein? I mean, what's the what's the rationale here? Why would you bet him? And you know, in Trizano fight, is if anything, it showed us is that you know if you keep him at bay, you know if you keep him with the jabs, you know, and and then push push the impose your game, like push the pace yourself, right, to go yourself. I think it's it's, it's possible, and and Landwer can do that, right? You know, if he controls himself or pushes forward, I think he knows. You know, uh, I think he know he he can he can impose his will on the on Klein and. Um, and although a lot of people pick Klein, I think in this case, I think uh, Landwer is going to give him a competitive fight. And uh, I actually see this fight going to a decision. Uh, and um, and I think um, Landwer has an absolute chance to, uh, of beating Klein in this fight. I actually pick him to win here by decision. Seems like the two plays that were kind of on here. Well, you were on uh, Klein, or sorry, um on Ameev as well, but you didn't agree with the line there. I, I kind of agree with the minus 300 to minus 350-ish range for Klein in a certain situation, given the way that we've been seeing Nate Landwehr in his last couple of fights. Now, I'll, I'll lay it out for you here in terms of why, why I think he's um, more than willing uh, or more than deserving of that line here. Uh, the Mike Trezano fight specifically, that's obviously the last fight that we have for Klein here. Trezano, we got to remember that Trezano is a much better striker, more, way more disciplined, way more tools in his skill set with the striking realm than what Nate Landwehr is going to bring to the table here. He's never, Landwehr has never been that Trezano type of striker to stay at range, kind of use his jab and use his kicks to kind of corral uh, Ludovic Klein into situations that he wanted him in, which is what Trezano exactly was successful with doing. And even then, the fight was pretty close. You know, I mean, I have people on both sides saying the fight should have been Klein's, the fight should have been Trezano's. I was on the Trezano side, so I was happy to get the decision there. But in this specific fight i don't expect nate landwehr to you know 
cut off the cage. He's following guys the entire time. He's not cutting off the cage. He's following guys. And in my opinion, I think he's going to follow himself right onto a big punch, right onto a big head kick, a knee, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, but I think even if this fight does go to a decision, it's going to be hard to overlook the amount of the amount of damaging strikes that are going to be dished out from the client side towards uh, Landwehr. Landwehr might beat him on output, but I think the more damaging strikes are going to come from the client side. He might even drop him a couple times. Something that, you know, Landwehr has been dropped on the regional scene as well, even when he's beating these Russian guys. And I think that's uh, uh, that's that's the difference here. The, the, well, the big difference, and I think that it's almost glaring at this point in time, he took a shit ton of damage in the M1 scene and, and was able to keep chugging forward and moving forward. But once he comes to the UFC and starts getting hit and starts getting dropped and starts getting finished, it leads you to believe that he might have been one of those guys that was affected by the USADA policy that he had to adhere to once coming over to the North American scene. And, you know, we saw firsthand what steroids can specifically do to a guy in Bigfoot Silva versus Mark Hunt. If you guys remember those fights, Bigfoot Silva goes into a five-round war with Mark Hunt, eating all the shots from Mark Hunt and chugging for a week at a draw. They match up with each other a couple fights later after Bigfoot Silva popped uh, in that fight, and uh, we get him knocked out in the first round. Like, that that's kind of what happens. Like, you see the diminishing return for guys that are on steroids and then come back and are not. They're just not able to deal with the damage that's being dished out to them. And I feel like Nate is one of those. Like, just even look at his personality. He seems like a guy that would take steroids, right? Let's be honest. To be successful in your trade and you're not getting tested for it, this guy more than likely was taking something when he was over there in Russia. Not saying the Russian guys weren't taking anything either. Of course, they were taking something too. But over here, the USADA side of things, uh, I don't think that his durability is going to benefit from the damage that is coming his way. And Klein, 16 out of his 17 victories, all by finish. The guy is a big finisher, big power in his shots. And I feel like if all these guys, Herbert Burns and uh, uh, Julian Rosa, if they're finding the button on Nate Landwehr, I truly expect Klein to do so as well. The one other benefit or um, positive I'll give on the tr late Nate Landwehr side is um, has some decent wrestling, right? We did see uh, Darren Elkin struggle to kind of get him to the ground. Um, I think Ludovic Klein showed in the Mike Trezano fight. He showed some good fight IQ in that fight where he didn't really just get stuck in a, in a, in a gunfight. He went for takedowns at times. And although he didn't do much with it, you know, it did bail him out of bad positions at times. And I feel like he might be able to lean on, a, on that here, but deal with a little bit of resistance from Landwehr in terms of trying to get him to the ground. I ultimately think it's going to be that bull rushing style of Nate Landwehr that's going to get him knocked out once again. Can't be doing that against a guy like uh, Klein. And then even if these guys stay at range and try to fight at a distance range, I think that the, the Klein power and the precision from his strikes will be too much for Nate Landwehr to handle. Sure, the output will be great from Landwehr, but at a certain point, he's going to get countered. He's going to get touched. He's going to get put on his butt. And I think he's going to get knocked out. So you can take Klein KO, which I think was around even money, which is probably his best path to victory. Personally, I've chucked him into a parlay when he was around that minus 303 range because I thought he was a perfect spot to do so. Uh, anything you want to add to this specific matchup? Yeah, just 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 to on? close it, you know, with, with Klein, you know, at, 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 at minus 310, I... Uh, I I just hope for one thing. I just hope this is not going to be the situation where where uh, like like we had with Mirko Krokop, right? You know, when he came from Pride, you know, one leg cemetery, one leg this, one like that. <laughs> you know, he's a, he's a, he's he's a finisher, right? We know he's a finisher, but we also know that the fights at the UFC are a different level and they're much closer, right? I don't want Landor to be underlooked uh, in, in in the sense I think at right now at current odds, if if you're a capper, regardless of the result, even if tomorrow you know client goes in and just rams you know through land where you know however way he wants uh land where i think at at 300 at plus 320 is actually a great value bet 
you know, unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, Kepa are judged based on the outcomes, right? Which is kind of like, well, why wouldn't they? Isn't that how they're supposed to be? No. If you're a value Kepa, you should be seeing, if you're seeing his chances, you know, of winning at about, you know, you know, 45% or 40%, right? You know, Klein deserved favorite. There's no reason to, to deny that. He is a yeah. dessert favorite, you know, but if you cap, you know, Landward at 45 and they're giving you, you know, like 70% that, that he's going to lose. It's just like you see the value there, right? He he has a chance and I think he has a decent chance. And so, but yeah, like I, I agree with you absolutely. I mean, Klein can definitely has a has that upside to, to stop Landwehr, you know, and, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if he did. I love it. I love it. All right, let's keep this straight moving on because we got four more fights to go over. And this one, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on. We got Manon Firo going up against Mayra Bueno Silva. And in terms of odds, we're currently looking at uh, minus 240 for a Firo and plus 210, plus 220 on Mayra Bueno Silva. I'll start off this uh, breakdown. Um, I initially, when this fight was announced and I saw the odds, I thought I was going to be on the Bueno Silva side. But then when you watch some of her fights, man, she makes it a little bit difficult to, to bet on her in terms of going for literally no no takedowns in her UFC career. She has no desire to do so. She wants to go out there. She wants to outstrike her opponent. And more often than not, she's the better striker. So it makes sense. But in this situation against Manol Firo, is she going to be the better striker? Probably not, right? Like she has some good leg kicks. She has some good combinations and all. No head movement. Firo is just going to be waiting to, to pinpoint, try to drop her in this situation. But I think that the, the somewhat unknowns of Firo's ground game at this level kind of keep me away from playing her at that minus 240 line. You know, I do believe she should be the favorite. Obviously, she has a lot of hype on her at this point in time. And I do think that she'll crack the top 10 of this division, given the skill set that she has. But there are some questions that I want answered. Like, we did see her grappling get challenged in her first fight, which was her first ever loss against Leah McCourt, Bellator's Leah McCourt. And McCourt was able to land takedown after takedown. And although Firo was able to get back to her feet, she just could not stop the takedown. And that was that's what ultimately the judges were able to score. Now, she could have made improvements since then. Obviously, she's made improvements since then. But this is the the best fighter she's going up since then right victoria leonardo really like really come on uh tabitha ricci great fighter played the worst game plan possible didn't even go for takedowns did nothing stayed at range up a weight class as well on short notice but this is the first fight full training camp you know uh, a girl that can present threats in the striking realm and the grappling realm the jiu-jitsu realm as well um so i do think that bueno silva is live here it's just my my concern of what her fight iq is like is she going to be smart enough to go out there and try to go for the takedowns or is she going to try to swing her big dick around and think she's the better striker and uh, try to go out there and outstrike a girl like manolfi that would be a very grave uh, mistake in my opinion for her to go out there and do something like that um which is why it's keeping me off from both sides here the the, the spot that i have a little bit of a intrigued to take a shot at is Myra Bueno by by submission around plus 675. That would probably be the only little sprinkle that I take in this fight. But I do think that Bueno Silva will go out there, outstrike her. Uh, I, hopefully we see uh, you know, the improvements that she should have been making in the takedown defense. Um, but I want to see that with my eyes first before I go out there and place any money on her. So I, I am taking her to win this fight. I think she outstrikes Bueno Silva. Say what you want about Bueno Silva striking. I do think that she's durable. So I do think she'll, she'll be able to take some damage here. I could see this fight going later. And I do think that um, if we do see Bueno Silva go out there and shoot takedowns, we might see a little bit more of a conservative feudal in terms of not wanting to overextend on her strikes in the 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 threat of possibly getting taken down in a counter um so i'm going to take Firo by decision in this spot uh i might have her in a couple of degenerate parlays just because i do think she ends up winning this fight but i just want to uh, make sure and see it with my eyes first that she's 
uh, fighting legitimate competition that are giving her legitimate threats, and she can come back from adversity and and beat those girls. And this is the perfect test for her to do so. So I'm not super confident on the Firo side. I am picking her to win, picking her by decision. How do you see this one going down, Mr. Goat? Uh, yeah, uh, Manpreet, you know, when I look at uh, Manoa Firo, uh, it, it, it's interesting to me. She reminds me of a serial gun in a lot of ways. You know, this wide stance, you know, she goes out and, and her precision and her timing is so spot on. You know, she's kind of like... Uh, uh, if if Cyril Gunn and and or good old days Conor McGregor pinned uh, you know mixed together right like I think her technique is spot on, uh, her timing is absolutely amazing, uh, and uh, yet I still think it doesn't justify the odds right. I mean there is no way she can be this this much of a favorite against uh, Buena Silva uh, because Myra uh, Myra is is a decent competitor you know we've mm -hmm. seen her doing very well on the on on the UFC scene. Um, just in general, right? I mean, I think this fight with uh, Montana De La Rosa was great. You know, it was a close fight. You know, then she submits uh, Mara Romero Barella. I think Marina Moroz actually outclassed her. But the level of the competition, it can, cannot be denied, right? The way she fights, I think it's just she fought at just a higher level competition. And I think to, to your point, like you said, finding, you know, baby sharks, you know, and, uh, you know, it's just is a different level but at the same time what it also should tell you right they're building her up they're giving her winnable fights you know they're getting her ready and i think she's a dessert favorite but uh, not at these odds i think you know um i think myra you know for for me i think wins if if they fought like 10 times she probably wins four and fiora wins six and uh and if i'm trying to be to find the value side here so for me it's going to be myra buena silva you know, under these odds, uh, Manofiro is unbettable. Um, you can sprinkle here and there a little bit, you know, but um, but it's also hard to see, you know, Myra taking taking Mano down. Uh, she might clinch with her. I think that will be her game plan. I think she will go. She will rush in, you know, throw, throw a few strikes and then try to clinch with her, trying to get Mano out of her element, right? And if it goes past the first round, you know, um, then we're going to have a fight. We have to see what Mano is truly made of. I think it's, in the, like you said, I think you made a great point. It's a great test to find out, is Mano Fierro legit? Um, so um, I'm not ready to give that answer. I think it's uh, it's, it's to be determined. And yeah. I'm going to um, I'm gonna pick uh, Myra Buena Silva to take this one by decision. Yeah, it's almost like the other women's fight that's on this card, right? Let's sit back. Let's see if Nunez is, you know, what she is, or let's see what Firo actually brings to the table when she actually goes up against somebody that's not Victoria Leonardo or no, somebody I, that's I, not. Yeah, go ahead. You know, absolutely. I really like your point. You know, this, you know, being this is not a race, this is marathon, right? Let's find out what these fighters are before we put our money in a good position, right? I think it's it's a tremendous point. And for Fioro and for Nunez, we just don't know yet, but we will find out. I think that's it's a great point. Awesome, awesome. All right, let's move on to the third last fight here. We got Jim Miller taking on Eric Gonzalez, if I'm not mistaken. Gonzalez coming in on short notice here. Um, but regardless, first fight for him. This is the widest discrepancy we've had in terms of UFC experience, where we have Jim Miller coming in for his 38th UFC fight compared to the debut of Eric Gonzalez in this fight. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 245 for 810 Jim Miller and plus 215, plus 225 for Eric Gonzalez. Um, let me just say it out flat. Uh, I'm not impressed with what I've been seeing from Eric Gonzalez. He's gone up against two UFC guys or former UFC fighters in Humberto Vandene, 
comes up short in that fight via decision. Goes up against Rafa Garcia, comes up short in that fight via decision. But then in between those fights, he's putting together a decent record, three, four, five fight winning streak. But then once he takes that level up in competition, he starts to falter. Now, say what you want about Jim Miller. 37, 38 years old, maybe on the end of his rope. But, you know, based on his press conference, uh, I believe yesterday or the day before that, he goes, I have no intentions of retiring. I'm still fully invested in this game, and I want to go out there and showcase that. And these are the types of fights he should go out there and win. Uh, I believe the last time he's actually won a fight by decision was uh, down at uh, or back in 2016. His last four fights, all first-round victories over, you know, up-and-coming guys, Roosevelt Roberts being one of them, where he was able to get a snatch on that arm bar, if I'm not mistaken, and take home that victory as well um i'm expecting kind of the same thing here well i think we're going to get a banshee out of uh jim miller here to go forward try to get land a takedown which doesn't seem that hard against a guy like eric gonzalez and i think he's going to get his jujitsu going after that i think we see another jim miller first round knockout here i think eric gonzalez is just or knock not knockout but submission sorry uh i think gonzalez is just a little bit too wild puts himself in very bad positions and he don't want to be doing that especially against a guy like Jim Miller, who will take full advantage of that. Again, we truly saw that in the in the Roosevelt-Roberts fight. One little slip-up from Roberts, and Jim Miller was on him, and I'm expecting the same thing here with Eric Gonzalez. My favorite play for this card, or this fight specifically, is the under 2.5, which is finally taking some actions. I saw that plus 150 earlier this week. Now it's down to plus 120. I'm, I'm fully expecting violence in this fight, whether it's Jim Miller early or Eric Gonzalez late. As we do know, Jim Miller does tend to slow down later in his fights. And say what you want about Eric Gonzalez as wild style does help him get some fighters out of there every now and then and i do believe he'd be able to take over um or, or take out a guy in jim miller who does slow down as much as he does in the third rounds uh so once again my the, my favorite play for this is the under two and a half i am ultimately taking jim miller in round one which currently has odds of plus 325 or plus 500 depending on where you're looking at or even miller by sub which is roughly around plus 180 how do you feel about this one uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, our opinions are similar in this fight. Uh, you know, with Jim Miller, I have to say it, right? You know, the the most the, the the best thing you need to know, I think, about Jim Miller is that 37 times this man has fought, and and uh, he missed weight zero times. Never ever in his career yeah. he missed weight. A true Big professional, credit. you know. Regardless, right? He has Lyme disease, whatever he has, you know. I mean. Uh, like San Su said, like the only thing that he didn't have is a bubonic plaque. You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> shout out to San Su. I if love San Su. Yes. Um, yeah. So, uh, so if you're looking into, uh, you know, I think Miller takes him down and uh, and, and and submits him, chokes him out in the first round. You know, fire. Uh, you know, rear naked choke. Uh, so yeah, that's gonna. I'm I'm gonna keep it simple. I don't have much to, to say about his opponent. I taped him, and it was just absolutely atrocious. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'll take Jim Miller. You know, I think it actually. I think it's it's a good bet. You know, like first round submission. How what are the odds for the first round submissions? Uh, uh, specifically, the first round submission I yeah, believe yeah. was in the six hundreds. Um, first round submission for Miller. Oh, it's not even up here. I mean, if if I'm I, a bookie, bookie oh, here I'm it is. Uh, plus, sorry, one. plus seven fifty. Miller submission in round one. <laughs> oh my god, this makes my job very easy. <laughs> you know, like like Tyron Woodley likes to say, bet. <laughs> <You> know, <so. laughs> exactly. 
There we I go. I love it. I love it. All right, let's move on to the co-main event here. We got Andre Arlovsky, another veteran of the UFC, going up against Carlos Felipe, who I just found out today has a face tattoo that automatically makes him in the no-bet zone for me. Uh, 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 in terms of odds, pretty much pick him here. Uh, at five times, I'm seeing 107, minus 107 for Arlovsky, minus 103 for Philippe, but it's pretty much a pick him at this spot. Uh, I'll actually let you kick this one off, uh, Tajik. How do you feel about this matchup going off? I have very limited interest in this fight, to be honest with you. It's just like betting-wise, watching-wise. It's just... Uh, but interesting about Arlovsky, you know, people were speculating about his, uh, you know, longevity and, you know, and, you know, him being able to withstand, you know, uh, his competition, you know, the, the regardless of his age. I think his secret weapon is actually is his beard, you know, <laughs> because it hides the chin. Like, there is no way. Are you, you looked at the stare downs like you saw it. Where this guy's chin is, mm -hmm. I want to know. And you're, if you're Felipe, you'll be guessing the entire fight. How do I find the chin? Like, you're going to throw it, boom, goes through the beard. Like and then you're like confused, right? I think it's 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 a really puzzle. Like like if you're his opponent, to how do you find his chin? Like you drop him, like okay, where do I hit now, right? Um, well, Carlos Felipe would be hard to to. I I, I don't see him, you know, maybe KOing like uh, viciously, you know, um, Arlovsky. But at the same time, you know, I was I was initially on Arlovsky, and then I taped uh, taped them both a little bit. It's this fighting style of boxing was with Carlos Felipe that he has, you know, this this uh, thick Diaz style, right? He puts his hands in the air, like he just don't care, and then he just goes, right? He goes, and, and although he's vo he's being outvolumed, he makes this look like he's winning this fight. And after the fight, he jumps off the cage like he he won this fight so unanimously, and it works, right? He has more flashy style than Arlovsky, and Arlovsky, unfortunately doesn't have that but there's a little bit of animosity in this fight which i think is interesting because Arl arlovsky said i'm gonna teach him a lesson or i'm gonna go down um that's that's an interesting statement so we'll see how that goes uh so my pick is gonna be carlos felipe i'm not gonna bet him uh at at the moment uh, but i think he's uh he's, he's he's an interesting play he's becoming more interesting play i think by tomorrow i'll i'll, I'll, I'll tweet some of my uh uh some of my um better picks with regards to him but so far i think he he wins it and uh, he wins it by decision yeah i'm going to be on the flip side and that just is further attribution of this fight being a coin flip I, i've seen and heard pretty much taste on both sides of this fight i do end up on the arlovsky side here um one take in, in specifically that i was very much on on board with and, and it's something that uh, john chartem and may fox john stargarian brought to the table as well is the the philippe's most success normally comes when he's able to crash the pocket and exchange in the pocket with a lot of his opponents whereas arlovsky seems to be playing it as safe as possible playing on the outside and staying away from those pocket exchanges and that's where he usually gets most of his damage or most of his output off and that's kind of what am i expecting it to be it's kind of again i think we're going to see a couple of different fights throughout this uh throughout tomorrow night that look the same where you have the bruiser where you have the bull and you have the matador and i think in this situation we got the bull in philippe and then the matador and uh, arlovsky and I got to go with the veteran uh, Arlovsky here. The one thing I think that both me and you can agree upon, though, is that over two and a half, which is currently sitting at uh, minus, well, it's actually getting heavy chalk now, minus 225, actually. I saw earlier in the week around minus 175, minus 180, but it seems like everybody's privy to the same side here is that these guys are more than likely going to go out there and bang for about 15 minutes, uh, but we won't see a knockout, which is so weird to say, especially with Arlovsky. And, you know, like you touched upon at the beginning of your breakdown, 
the, the man's beard is fucking amazing at this point in time to be able to keep him uh to keep him upright like 10 11 years ago we were writing him off and telling him to retire and now here he is at the ripe age of 42 years old going out there and dancing circles around some of these prospects on the up and up so uh luckily for him heavyweight is one of those uh divisions that you can actually have some longevity in and uh luckily for him again his chin is holding up in certain situations so that he's not on a seven or eight fight losing streak of continuously getting knocked out obviously when he goes up against guys like Jarzinho Rosa trick he's going to get put out or Francis Ngannou is going to get put out but um him going up against like uh, Philippe Lins and uh Tanner Bozer and even Carlos Philippe who was finishing guys on the regional scene but as me and you both know once the level of competition starts to get up it's harder and harder to put these guys away and that's exactly what Carlos Philippe is learning from so he's going to have to adjust his style to try to have a better style to go out there and beat these kinds of guys uh it seems like he's getting into the flashy lifestyle as well got the blonde hair got the fancy clothes and and the face tat and all that stuff now so he's really relishing the fruits of his labor at this point in time but it's time to go out there and actually work and you're gonna have to work when you're going up against a veteran like Andre Olofsky so I am on the Olofsky side I think he wins by decision but the only play I'd make on this even if it's a Hail Mary parlay I'd only be placing over two and a half in it not a side you had yeah, something no, to say brother? yeah no absolutely agree I think he's I think he should have had Felipe should have had had like his secret weapon of his own and not secret but you know went blonde right now the blonde fighters right now are absolutely on a tear so yeah why not <laughs> Exactly. Uh, channel that inner blondness. Let's see how it ends up going for Mr. Carlos Fleep tomorrow night. All right. That brings us to our main event. And I can't believe I'm saying main event proceeding with these two names. But I do also want to take this time to remind the 200 live viewers that we currently have in the chat. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then show my guys Tajik Bay some love as well. As you guys can go to the description of this video and click on his Twitter link so that you guys can go out there and follow him as well. Uh, one of those enigmas on Twitter that doesn't follow anybody either. Either, but nobody gives a fuck either because he is the one and true goat within our MMA community. Uh, Tajik, we got Aspen Lad going up against Norma Dumont, minus 130 on the Aspen Lad side of things, and plus 110 on Norma Dumont. I'll actually let you kick this one off, brother. How are you feeling about this matchup? Yeah, before I, I break this down, you know, I just want to, uh, you know, give a notice if you, if you if you follow me on Twitter there is no unsubscribe button there is no unfollow button so just, you know. uh, you're locked in <laughs> yes you're locked there you go so <laughs> um but yeah I, I think this is pretty straightforward match um I, in this matchup I uh, I do like Aspen lot I prefer her uh I think she's more lethal striker you know um and I think uh, her uh, um, takedown game is something that's going to be probably a deal breaker in this fight. Um, with Norma Dumont, I still have still very have very hard times capping her. Um, like where does where does she truly stands? You know, in the ranking uh, and just in general as as, as a fighter, uh, I think Aspen Lat is a more complete fighter. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, her round of round one performances are snooze fests. You know, like she she's just not there in the first round. She wakes up in the round second and third. Uh, so in my prior appearances, I did say that if it was a three round fight, uh, you know, probably uh, she uh, Aspen Lat would would have been an underdog, and Norma Dumont would be would be uh, Norma Dumont should have been a, a higher favorite. I think she had a better chance to win the three round fight. But in a five round fight, I think Aspen Lat has to be the favorite um and i think i give her an advantage uh, they will be cautious right i think couple of first and second round 
I, I don't think they're going to engage much. Um, but um, but when Aspen Ladd gets in the groove, I think she's she's very unstoppable. The way she dominates her opponents is is, is pretty astounding. Like right, like Yana Kunitskaya fight is a great example. I mean, she goes in two rounds, she just does absolutely nothing. She was lying like uh, Nick Diaz versus Anderson Silva. Like it's just like there's <laughs> nothing going on, and then her coaches come in. It's like you have to finish, you know, and she does. Right when. Uh, what does that tell you? It tells you two things: that she has a great KO power, and that she listens to her coaches. And so, 145, she has traveled, uh, you know, with 135. So she went. Now she's going 145. I think Norma Dumont also had the weight issues, which which she was forced to go up. So I think in a lot of ways, it's not like Dumont is bigger here, and 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 uh, and we have a, you know this weight advantage or size advantage in general. Uh, I think Lad uh, is, is a safe pick here, uh, and I think it's going to be one of the bets that I'm going to propose, just, just betting Lad straight. I, I see her as, uh, uh, as a good betting material in this fight. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be on the Dumont side here, but with no bet. Uh, like you kind of alluded to, there is still a little bit of question marks regarding what Dumont brings to the table here. Uh, I thought it was the hardest to cap her, like leading up to the Ashley Evans Smith fight. And I saw a lot of blind bets on the Ashley Evans Smith side because we just didn't know much about Norma Dumont. You know, people seeing plus money on Ashley Evans Smith and they just automatically better. But then once we saw Ashley was not able to really secure takedowns or really get her game going she was getting touched up on the feet and that's probably what could happen here as well if this asp if aspen lad is not able to secure takedowns and in my opinion from the tape that i read it seemed like a lot of aspen lads takedowns come from those body lock takedowns like it's like get the double underhooks and muscle your opponent to the ground try to just be the stronger person and just muscle this to the ground and i'm interested to see although at the weigh-ins it looks like lad and dumont are almost the same size it's more so that dumont seems a little bit thicker to me at least to me personally so i'm interested to see if that's going to play into this and again it could play and help her for a couple rounds but the fact that this is five rounds in my opinion it does obviously favor lad but she's gonna have to win at least three of those five rounds we're gonna have to see dumont's uh uh, pace and her activity and her takedown defense significantly diminish uh, in rounds three to assure that Lad is going to be able to uh, get this victory. Although Lad could potentially win one of the first two rounds as well if she is successful again the takedown, but it's just too many big ifs for me. For me, the 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 striking is is a big difference here. I think that Dumont is the much better striker. You know, Lad shows weird things in terms of kind of moving forward and having this weird style where she has her hands all the way up into her face and kind of just throwing combinations out there. But it seems like there's nothing on those shots. It just seems like she's throwing them out there to try to stay active. And when she's going to be getting countered here by Dumont by the much heavier strikes, I think she's going to start to wilt and she might start to break. But she'll always have that ace in her pocket, which is going to be the takedowns and the grappling. But I just don't know how effective it's truly going to be once this fight gets going. I know a lot of people want to kind of go to that Felicia Spencer fight for Norma Dumont saying, oh, look at the last minute. Should even work to get back up or anything like that. Uh, for me, it was a couple of things. It's whether, you know, uh, it, it could have been Norma knew she was already up two rounds. She didn't want to put herself into too much danger by trying to get up, getting submitted or something like that. So she just wrote it out on the ground. Um, so I think there might be too much stock being put into that specific fight. Um, there are question marks on Dumont, which is why I'm ultimately not betting it. But I do think she will win if she's able to keep this fight upright and get her striking off. Does she finish, Lad? I'm not 100% sure. Like She doesn't have the knockout power of Jermaine Durandamy, who was just so precise and, and on the nose with Lad's strike that she was able to land and get Lad out of there with. Um, 
I just don't know if Dumont has it. I think she, it's more going to be a, an accumulative amount of damage that's going to have to take Lad out there, especially if she's able to stuff takedowns and keep this fight on the feet. So pick for me is Dumont by decision, but not a whole lot of confidence on that. So you guys got a lot of conflicting picks between me and Tajik throughout this entire podcast, which is great because we get to see both sides of the argument and see who ends up obviously uh, being on the right side here. I'm sure I'll get a couple right. I'm sure Tajik will get a couple right, but I'm glad that I was able to you know, get good points from either side here. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you, right? And and I think a lot of times, you know, our picks just as a picks coincide, and I think we're 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 on the same side on a lot of them. But the, you know, I think where where we sometimes differ is on the on the value side, right? Like when we see certain value, we go for it, and so I think. But overall, you know, uh, great conversation. For sure, for sure. I promise you guys, this is not the last time you guys are going to see Tajik on the channel. He is very much welcome on this channel as all uh, all these great analysts are. But I like the way that Tajik breaks down these fights. Before we get going, though, I uh, do want to drop the lock of the night plays or the most confident plays that we have on the card. Personally, I am going the square route. Call me a square. I'm going Klein plus me. If I got them at minus 135 as my parlay, I went with that. Uh, initially, I had Eubanks and Klein as my play. As I thought Eubanks was probably the safest. I probably could have even gone uh, Eubanks inside the distance and been just as confident in that as well. But as soon as I got the news that she was uh, she was out, I was lucky to beat my bookies to it. Uh, I was able to cash out to a $2 loss, which I'll more than happily be taking. Uh, just so that I can go out there and get the same type of value on Klein and then Adam even there, who is my next confident pick on this card. So I got Amiv and Klein at minus 135. Tajik, what's your most confident play on this card? Yeah, uh, most confident is probably going to be done, done betting the Nas straight, uh, betting uh, Aspen lot straight. Um, I'll take Dream um, uh, uh, Miller by submission. And then I think I had one more. And I, I'll take uh, Andrew Sanchez by TKO. There you go. Plays from the GOAT. Plays from your boy Locke as well, too. Uh, once again, I will be back tomorrow for the Fight Day Live chat at 11 a.m. So make sure you guys tune in for that. Taking all questions, comments, and concerns. Just so you guys, right before the fight start off, so that you guys can place your bets. Tajik, is there anything you want to say on the back end here before I let you go, brother? Um, I want to say thank you, you know, for this opportunity. You know, always, you know, Great, great talking with you, and uh, you know, thank you to your viewers and your fans. You have a great following. You know, the comment section is is is, is lit on fire, and definitely, you know, this won't be the, the last that we'll be seeing of me. You know, we, you, we, you know, me and Manpreet, we talk, you know, on Twitter all the time. So um, I, I look forward to um, to to coming back. But then, let us know in the comment section if you want me back, even back. You know, maybe you don't like me. I don't <laughs> care. Because if Manpreet decides, I'm going to be back. So, but do let do let us know. Do let us know. <laughs> you know, the feedback is important. It's good for us to know that that uh, that you know, the vibe is great. You know, you you're liking the breakdowns, the analysis, and every and everything else. You know, it's it's great meeting you, uh, Manpreet, and uh, thanks everybody in the chat for uh, watching this stream today. Honestly, I appreciate the time, Tajik, and I know you probably have uh, some business to take care of that we can't speak about at this point in time, so I'm just going to let you go off of that. But I do appreciate everybody joining us. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe on the way out, and then obviously go out there and follow Tajik on Twitter. The link is in the description below, or you guys can just type in the screen name that you see on right under his face uh, on, the, on the screen there for you guys as well. All right, good luck in your bets tomorrow, and I will see you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. Fight Day Live Chat. War, Ludovic Klein. And Ramazan Amiv, and for my guy Tajik, War Aspen Lad as well. All right, take go. it easy, guys.